Open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 3. And uh, we are going to begin, notice I said begin, begin with the first eight verses in John chapter 3. But we will quickly uh, move on to several other passages in the Scripture. We're going to do something a little different uh, the next few Sundays, and I'll tell you about that in just a minute. But right now we're going to begin in the Gospel of John in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Okay, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Father, please teach us today about your Holy Spirit. Teach us today how to submit to the Spirit, how to look to the Spirit, how to trust your Spirit. Father, we thank you so much for, uh, for indwelling us with the Spirit of God. We thank you so much for revealing truth to us, for regeneration, making us alive. God, make all those things clear and precious and wonderful to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We are finished with the book of Hebrews. You probably figured that out by now, right? Um, That was a profitable thing. I I love going through books. We're going to go through another book of the Bible here pretty soon. Uh, That's kind of our standard practice at Lincoln Avenue as we preach uh, through books of the Bible. However, uh, we are taking a short break from that. I think it's good to do a variety of other things kind of in between those those larger studies. And so uh, after a conversation with one of our teachers here at Lincoln, um, what I decided to do is do a very short series on the Holy Spirit, okay? So uh, it's not going to be a long series. We're not going to cover everything. We're going to give basically an overview of the work of the Holy Spirit. So probably the way that's going to look is today, I know today, I'm not sure about the rest of it, but I know today we're going to do the Holy Spirit in salvation, okay? Next week, we'll probably do the Holy Spirit in sanctification. That's, that's your Christian life. The following week, we'll probably do the Holy Spirit in mission. And then possibly, I'm not sure about this one yet, uh, but we may do the the sins against the Spirit on that fourth week. And so that's basically uh, what it's going to look like. These are going to be more topical sermons, okay? So we're used to being in one passage, and I illustrate and give examples and teach the truth out of that one passage, okay? This is going to be a different kind of sermon. We're going to be all over the Bible, so get get your Bible skills ready. So you're going to have to stay awake, okay? Uh, so you have to stay awake and, 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 and move with me. And we're going to look today at the Holy Spirit and salvation. Now, this ought to be really exciting to you. Let me tell you why this ought to be exciting to you. Because Jesus never lies. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 16, verse 7, when, when he's telling his disciples that he's about to leave. Okay, He's going to die. 
Uh, he's going to be raised from the dead, and he's going to ascend into heaven, and they are not going to have him with them anymore. But listen to what he says. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Can you imagine that? For if I do not go away, the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. All right, now the amazing thing about what that just said is that that just said that it is of greater advantage to you and I to have the Holy Spirit than the physical presence of Jesus. Now, now, can you get your head around that? You know, I I don't think that's the way we think, is it? That's not the way at all we think. I mean, the way that most of us think is, if only Jesus were here, right? If only, if only I could touch him and, and, and if only I could just talk to him like, like I talked to another person. If only, you know, I could go see him feed 5,000 people with a couple uh, biscuits and some fish sticks. You know, if only I could, could go to a funeral and he would raise the dead person. If only I could, you know, watch him heal. And man, then that would be so awesome if he were here physically. Okay, I agree that would be awesome, but Jesus himself just said in John 16 that it is better for your Christian life. There's more power for you. There's more comfort for you. There's more uh, wisdom for you. There is more benefit to your life that he ascend into the heaven of the Father and that the Spirit of God come down and live inside of you if you're a born-again believer. All right, so that's pretty big, isn't it? If Jesus says that having the Holy Spirit is better than having him physically here, that is a huge deal, okay? That's a huge deal. So we need to unpack what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives. And specifically today, we want to unpack what does the Holy Spirit do in salvation. Now, you know, I know that may be a hard thing to grasp. It's actually better to have the Holy Spirit. But really, when you look at the disciples, which was better for them, to have the physical presence of Jesus or for them to have the Holy Spirit? Do you remember how they acted when they had the physical presence of Jesus? I mean, they were huddling and hiding and and messing up and and do and you remember how they acted when they had the Spirit, okay? Peter, take Peter, okay? This guy is denying Jesus three times. He's lopping off people's ears. You know, he, he's putting his foot in his mouth, okay? After the Holy Spirit came, what is Peter doing? Peter preaches his very first sermon. How'd it go, Peter? 3,000 people, only 3,000 people were saved after his first sermon, okay? Is that Peter's skill as an orator? That is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, indeed, we see that lived out, that, indeed, it is incredibly valuable for us to have the Holy Spirit. And so, what exactly? does the Holy Spirit do in our life? And today we're looking particularly at the theme of salvation, the Holy Spirit and salvation. Now, you'll notice the verse we chose to read was of Nicodemus and Jesus talking about being born again, okay? And Jesus gives an illustration that the Spirit of God making you alive on the inside is like being reborn, being born again. Let, let, me, let, let me unpack that a little bit. Um, let, let me start with it. Let, let's do this, okay? So think back to when you were born or your kids were born or somebody you knew was born, okay? So how would they describe being born, okay? So how would they describe being born? Now, the answer to that question is depending on who you ask about it, right? So let's say you ask the mother, okay? So 
She just had a child, and you ask the mother, you know, hey, what, what was it like, you know, what happened when the kid was born? And here's likely what she would say. She would say, well, I carried that stinker for nine months, you know. I bore the load of back spasms and a greatly reduced bladder. I had morning sickness. I was throwing up everywhere. I had fatigue, and then I went into labor. And I'm telling you, for 10 hours, I used every bit of strength that I have, and I screamed that little guy into existence right? That would be probably a typical answer. How was the baby born? Now, so that's her vantage point. Now, let's say you go over and, and, and you ask the father of the baby the same question, okay? So he, he was there. It's the same baby. It's the same birth, okay? But you ask him, well, you know, how was that baby born? I mean, how'd that take place? How'd it come about? And he would say, well, something like this. He would say, well, for nine months, I lost my sweet wife. She disappeared. And another lady appeared, and that lady sent me on constant errands for things that made no sense at all. And that lady would cry hysterically, and she would laugh uncontrollably, and she'd remodel the back bedroom all in the same hour, okay? And and then one day we went to the hospital, and for 10 hours I got ice chips, and I manned the sweat rag, and I got the nurse 42 times. I videotaped, I prayed, I coached, and I got all the bones in my hand broken until you came out and you came into the world, right? That might be the dad's perspective. So let's say, and I know babies can't talk, let's say you ask the baby, okay? So you ask the baby. This is all the same event, okay? It's the same event, okay? If the baby could talk, you ask the baby, hey, how, how, were, you, how were you born? And he would say something like this, for nine months, man, things were awesome, you know? I mean, everything was really good, you know? And then all of a sudden, man, y'all squeezed the fire out of me for 10 hours, you know? And then some guy grabbed me by the neck and pulled me out into the Arctic, I guess is where we're at, you know? And swatted me on the behind and shined a bright light in my face for about 10 minutes. That's how it happened, you know? Now, every one of those vantage points would be true. Correct? Especially the dads. They're all true. Every one of them. Okay? So if I were to ask you a similar question, so, so Nicodemus here, Jesus teaching Nicodemus, you got to be born again. you got to be born, not only physically born, but you must be spiritually born. Okay? So let's ask the same question of your spiritual birth. Okay? And, and for some of you, that may not apply. For some of you, you're still in the process. You haven't, you're not a follower of Jesus yet. You've not put your faith in Christ. You've not been born again. But for those of you who had... Let's ask the question, you know, what, what happened when you were saved, okay? Now, if you ask the person who, who, who got saved, okay, who became a Christian, they would probably say something like, well, man, my buddy told me the gospel. You know, I heard the gospel, and I'd heard of it before, but, man, this time, all of a sudden, I was just incredibly interested. And he began to tell me about sin. And, man, I, I'm telling you, there was a weight on my heart that I cannot describe. I knew that I was broken. I knew that I I was a sinner. I knew that I had sinned against God and was separated from God. I knew all of that was true, and I began to despair, but he began to tell me about Jesus, and I began to to listen to how Christ loved me and died for me, and how he rose from the dead, and how he calls me to himself, and man, all of it just was seemed absolutely true to me, and, and there was a compellingness in me to want it, and, and, and at that point, I said, you know, what, what do I need to do? And he talked to me about repentance, and he talked to me about faith, and I put my faith in Christ, and I prayed, and I received Jesus, and I'm telling you, I've not been the same since that day. And that would be absolutely true. If you were to ask his friend, okay, if you were to say, hey, how did that person get saved? 
They would tell you from their vantage point. They would probably say, well, you know, I'd shared spiritual things with my friend many times and they were completely uninterested. But all of a sudden, one day, I, I tried it one more time. You know, I brought up spiritual things and man, they, they were just locked in. I could tell. They, they knew exactly what I was talking about. I talked to them about sin and I've known this guy. I've known his life for a long time and he was genuinely broken. He was genuinely broken over his sins. He was convicted. I talked to him about Jesus. I talked to him about, about how he could be trusted, about how he died on the cross. And I could tell, man, he was wanting it. He actually initiated and said, hey, what do I need to do? And so I told him, you need to repent. You need to call out to the Lord. And we prayed right there together. And I'm telling you, my friend has not been the same since. Okay, that might be his perspective. Now, here's the interesting perspective. What if you ask God? If you ask God and said, How did that person get saved? I wonder what God's perspective would be. Well, Ezekiel 26, I believe, 36, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 36, 26, I believe gives us God's perspective on salvation. There's lots of places in the Bible we could look, but I like this one, okay? So here we go. So what's God's perspective on salvation? God says this, how did it happen? I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now what I'm getting at here is that depending on whose vantage point you look at salvation. Actually all of those are absolutely true. All those are true. Both the man's perspective, the friend's perspective, and God's perspective. And what we are looking at this morning is, what is the role of God? What is the role specifically of the Holy Spirit in salvation? And as I think we just clearly read, the role of the Holy Spirit is something called regeneration. Have you ever heard of that? Regeneration. It's kind of a big word, and and basically what it means is to bring something to life, okay? Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, what the Bible is describing to us here is what we call the new birth, okay? This is what John or Jesus Jesus called in John chapter 3 what he called to Nicodemus the new birth. And what it is is that God does something fundamentally transforming on the inside of you, okay? Salvation is not just, I believe this thing, I said this thing, I started going to church. That is not salvation. People in the flesh can do that. People in the flesh can start going to church. They can start giving giving money. They can start doing good deeds, okay? What the Bible is talking about is that conversion happens when the Spirit of God brings life to the inside of a man, spiritual life. Okay, a spiritual transformation. You're saying, Pastor, please explain to us exactly what happens on the inside of a person. I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I can't explain it any more than the scriptures tell me. But look at what verse 8 says in John chapter 3. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I don't absolutely understand where wind comes from. I can't tell you when it's going to be windy. I can't tell you when the wind's going to change. I can't tell you where all that air is going. Have you ever wondered before, you know, when we've got one of those south winds, you know, coming out of the south, and I mean, it's just 40 mile an hour for like five days, you would think Texas would have no air, wouldn't you? I mean, how exactly does that work? 
I don't know. Where does it all go? Where does it all pile up at? You know, you'd think Kansas, they'd be oxygen, you know, too much. They, you know, they'd be getting dizzy, you know, too much air. Where, I don't know any of that, but I don't for a moment question that there's not wind. I'm sure of that. I can't see it. But man, I see effects. I see dust blowing and trash going through the air. And one one day I came up here. This was before Squibs uh, bricked our sign, but our sign was going like this, you know, completely sideways. I got a video of it. I mean, I see the effects of wind. And in the same way, I don't know exactly what the Holy Spirit did inside of Bonnie. To, to turn on the spiritual light, okay, so that she saw her wor- whole world differently and all of a sudden began to value spiritual things and, and to come to Jesus. I'm not sure exactly what the Spirit of God turns on and makes alive in there, but I'm telling you what, I see the effects of it everywhere. It's all over in Christians' lives. That is the new birth. You see, Nicodemus' idea when he comes to Jesus, he's a Pharisee, he's a guy who does rules. His idea is, you know, Christianity means I do, I do these things. You know, tell me what to do. You know, give me my good works. You know, give me my list so I can check them off and I'll be righteous before God. And what Jesus is telling him is he's saying, Nicodemus, you can't see or enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says both those. Verse 3, he says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you are not fit for God's kingdom, okay? Jesus has a kingdom. He is a king. There is a spiritual kingdom, okay, that will last forever. It is more real than any physical kingdom, okay? A lot of times when people think of spiritual kingdom, they think it's not as real. No, 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 it's more real. There, there, was a, there was a kingdom called the Roman Empire a couple thousand years ago that stretched all the way from Asia all the way into Europe and had all kinds of Caesars and emperors. And, and you know what? Where's that deal now? Can you go there now? No, you can't go there because it doesn't exist. Okay, It's gone. It, it's passed away. Okay, You can't be protected by it. You can't be provided for by it. You can't be attacked by the Roman Empire. You can't be a citizen of it because it doesn't exist. Jesus' kingdom will never cease to exist. There will never be a day in all eternity when Jesus is not king and he has a kingdom, all right? So the spiritual kingdom is real, but in order for you to see it, in order for you to value it, in order for you to be drawn to it, in order for you to enter into it, you have to be fit for that kingdom. Right now, you're, or if you're not a believer anyway, we come into this world spiritually dead. Ephesians 2.1 tells us, and you were dead in your transgressions and sins. There's something inside of you that does not respond to God. You're not impressed with God. You don't see His glory. You're bored with God. That's the best way I can describe it, is that the natural person is bored with God. God's glory is everywhere. God's word is true. God's promises are real. But the natural person looks at those things and says, ah, I'm so much more interested in all this other stuff. Okay, I mean, they might even say that with their mouth, but that's exactly what their life says. Okay, they're spiritually dead, and therefore, in order to come to salvation, there must be something spiritual that happens on the inside of you, and that something spiritual is called regeneration, or in our passage in John 3, it is called the new birth. Now, I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 2, because I think 1 Corinthians 2 helps us out in understanding the, the, the transformation that takes place 
uh, in, 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 the, in the spiritual man, okay? So, so 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm going to start reading up in verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. All right, so there's this, all these things given to us by God, but in order to understand those things, you must have the Holy Spirit. Okay? You, you, you can't understand them without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the means of revelation, okay? The primary means of revelation. All right, so if, you, if you'll hold your finger right there in 1 Corinthians, I want to take you to John. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 26 says, One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Okay, the Holy Spirit is the one who, who reveals spiritual truth. All right, now how does he do that? He does that in a couple ways. I, w- I would classify it, he, d- he does that from the outside and from the inside, okay? From the outside, 2 Peter uh, 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. How did we get this book? How did we get this book? We got this book because the Spirit of God wrote it, okay? This, these are the words of the Spirit. This is the word of Jesus, okay? The Spirit took men and he brought them along, he inspired them and carried them along. And we have what we have here is the word of God, attested to us and confirmed to us by Jesus himself who rose from the dead, all right? And a really scary thing that I see happening in our culture is people who stand in authority over the word of God. In other words, the word of God should be my authority, right? It should govern me. But I, what I see people doing is they put themselves over the Word of God. So they'll begin to read the Word of God, and they'll read a verse like, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. And they're like, that is a good verse. That is a good verse. I agree with that, God. I concur. You know, we'll check that one. It stays. You know, they read another verse, flee sexual morality. Oh, no, no, no. I just don't know that that's really true. I don't know that that's authoritative. I think that's, you know, for their day, but not in our day. So I'm going to scratch that one out. All right, now how dare we believe that we are in authority over the Word of God? How dare we believe that the Spirit of God couldn't do His job? Is that what we're saying? You know, are we, are we saying, Holy Spirit, you tried really hard. We're going to give you an A for effort, but you know what? You just didn't get it all right, you know? When Paul was writing that one section, you were, you were trying to carry him along, and you were trying to fill him, and you were trying to inspire him, but, you know, you got distracted, you looked away, something happened, and bam, now we got something in the Bible that's not true. We don't believe that, my friends. The Bible stands as an authority over our lives, whether it's popular, whether, whether we like what it says, whether we agree with it, it doesn't matter. The Spirit of God is the Word of God and the truth of God revealed to us through His Spirit. So, the, the Spirit reveals truth to us from the outside. He also reveals truth to us from the inside. Remember what John said in John 14, 26? Uh, he said, the, whole, the helper of the Holy Spirit, the Father, will send in my name. He will teach you all things, and he'll bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Do you see that? Now he's working from the inside, okay? This is what we call illumination, okay? So we have inspiration. That's how we got the Bible. And now we've got illumination. Illumination is when the Holy Spirit works on us from the inside. How many of you Christians, how many of you have ever had the experience, you, you, you've read a verse a hundred times, you know, you know the verse, you memorize the verse, you read the verse, and one morning you're in your prayer time, and, and you're studying, and you're, you're communing with the Lord, and man, you read that same verse, and all of a sudden, it's like the windows of heaven are open to you, 
And, and you're, you're changed, man. You, you are gripped by that thing. How did that happen? That happened through the Spirit of God. We should want that to happen. That's why the psalmist prays in Psalm 119, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things from your word. He's saying, God, open my eyes. Holy Spirit, show me from the inside. So the Holy Spirit is the giver of truth. He he reveals truth through his word. He reveals truth on the inside by illuminating our minds to understand it. And so in 1 Corinthians, I'm going back there, 1 Corinthians 2, when, when, when Paul talks about the natural person and the spiritual person, the big difference is the natural person doesn't have the Holy Spirit illuminating his mind. And so what happens? Well, he says, verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. You guys see that word folly? They're folly. Now, so he's not saying he can't understand the words, right? So someone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, they can still read, right? They can still put sentences together. They can still understand the concept of the writer. But it's not, it's not glorious to them. It's not life-giving. It's, it's, not, it's not captivating. It, it's, not, it's not transforming. Why? Because it's folly to him. Why? Because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. They're spiritually appraised. When, a, when an appraiser comes to your house, what does he do? He looks it all over, right? He says, vinyl siding. We got a roof that's five years old. Uh, we got a three bedroom, we got this many square foot, we got new appliances, we got this kind of countertop, and then, then he makes an appraisal, right? He says, this is what it is worth, okay? He, he, he discerns what it is worth. The natural man hears the gospel. He hears that Jesus is God's son, that Jesus died on the cross, that you can have eternal life and forgiveness and adoption into God's family, and he may understand all of that, but when he appraises it, It's not worth very much. It may be worth a little. In fact, he may make some kind of insincere decision that moves him a little ways on in his spiritual life. But but, but if he does not have the Spirit of God, he does not see those things as everything. He does not see them as captivating. He does not see them as, as moving in his life. And therefore, he does not understand them. I don't know of a real illustration to try to illustrate this for you. Um, here's my, my shot at it, and this is not, this is not a spiritual application. I'm going to give you a physical thing that happened to me, and I think it has some implications on, on understanding not valuing something, okay? So when I, uh, when I was um, growing up, I was driving a truck or a pickup many, 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 many days on Highway 96, running from Scott City, Kansas to past Eads, Colorado. And for some reason, and I, I'm still not completely clear on this, but it's still true to this day, that is a major bicycle route, okay? It's a major, and I'm not talking like, you know, someone with a basket going to get milk at the store. There's no milk in eastern Colorado or western Kansas. There's not anything, okay? I'm talking about people riding across the country on their bicycle. And I can remember riding and driving in those trucks, you know, and I remember seeing those guys, and I'm sweating in my truck. It's 100 degrees out. It's July, 
And I'm seeing these guys on bicycles in the middle of nowhere. And my thought is, those are the dumbest people I've ever met in my life. I mean, I can't imagine why would anybody want to do that. You're going to get killed by, by the way, you know, I'm half asleep in the afternoon by, you know, running into a bunch of cyclists. And, you know, I, I just can't imagine. And then as I begin to hear and, and get a little more familiar with the sport, I, I find out some of those bikes cost two, $3,000. And I'm, I'm like ramping up the dumb factor. I'm like, man, those guys are ridiculous. I mean, who would ever want to do that? That's, that's what I thought. And then... You know, guys like Dr. Kirkendall, guys like Randall, they take me out riding bikes. And the first ride I ever had with Dr. Kirkendall, he's riding a nicer bike and I'm riding a not-so-nice bike. And I figured out real quick, yeah, there's a big difference. Yeah, yeah, sure enough, you know, I was wrong about that. Wow, my eyes were certainly opened, okay, that there's differences in bicycles. And then they begin, we take these long rides out in the in the country and out to Sharon Shattuck Road and I could see turkey and deer and have great conversations on my bike and get in shape and it's not so hard anymore and pretty soon i'm watching the tour to france i'm i'm thinking man it'd be great someday to ride across the country on a bicycle okay now what happened there nothing spiritual okay don't don't think anything spiritual happened but what happened is at one time i did not appraise i did not value i saw no value in something that later i came to really love okay now what happens in first corinthians 2 is You can't love the things of God without the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? You can't ever get there. You can't ever get to the point where you're embracing and loving this thing without the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you're a natural person without the Spirit, and you're going to be bored with God. You're going to be uninterested with God. You're going to give Him lip service because you don't have the Holy Spirit of God. Something inside of you must come alive. Okay? Salvation is more than making a decision. It is more than walking forward. It is more than whatever you do. Salvation, unless it is accompanied by the Spirit of God turning something on in your life, it's not genuine salvation. Okay? Now, let me tell you the real hopeful thing about that doctrine, and then we're going to move to the second thing, and we're going to finish. Here's the real hopeful thing about what I just told you. It, it excites me greatly to know that the Spirit of God is the one flipping that switch, okay? You know why? Because I, how many times have you had this experience? I, I really want someone to know Jesus. I want him to be born again. And so I go to him, and I give him my best shot, you know? I've thought this deal out. You know, I got a slick gospel presentation ready. And, man, I, I, I give him my best shot. I share the gospel. I share the truth. I, I encourage him in the Word of God. I tell him about Jesus. And more, more often than not, They're nice. You know what that means when they're nice? Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I I appreciate, you know, I can really tell that you love it, and I appreciate you sharing that. And I realize that nothing happened. All right, now, if I I don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, what am I going to do? Well, I might as well give up. I just gave my best shot, you know? I mean, that's all I got. I mean, I can't do any better. I just gave my best shot. And then nothing happened on the inside. But... With the Holy Spirit, oh, this is exciting now. Hey, I'm going to get up to bat every time. Because I don't know what the Spirit's going to do, man. God may be drawing those folks. God may be opening their eyes. God may be doing stuff in that I don't even see. And man, who knows? The hardest of the hard person, I might share the gospel. They might be born again just like that. Isn't that awesome? 
I mean, the Holy Spirit infuses hope into everything that I do. Everything. Just knowing that it's just not all about me. It's not all resting on my shoulders. The Holy Spirit is at work. Second thing I want to tell you about the Holy Spirit and salvation. And folks, I I just can't hardly believe that this is true. Not in the sense that I don't believe it, but in the sense that it's so wonderful, I can't get my head around it, okay? At the moment of salvation, okay? So you got the Holy Spirit revealing truth. You got the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to truth. You got the Holy Spirit bringing us to life and regeneration. And at the moment of salvation, listen to this, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of every believer. That is a complete game changer for me. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Friends, God is so committed to your eternal salvation and transformation that when He saves you, He comes and sets up residence inside of your heart. Doesn't that, does that blow anybody else away? That God would be that committed to my salvation that He would come and indwell me forever. That He would come and live inside of me right now and, and take up permanent residence. I mean, I like you guys. I like you guys a lot. You're a great church, and I want to help you in any way that I can. But honestly, I don't want to live with you. I don't want to to spend 24-7 with you. That's too much of a commitment. But God himself, the, the third person of the Trinity, comes and sets up shop in your heart, inside of you. This is not a test drive. This is not a rent-to-own deal. This is not an extended lease. This is not an escape clause in the contract. In the contract, God saves you, purchases you, and then he moves in, okay? It is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in every born-again believer. So what happens in salvation? God is opening our eyes to the truth through his word. God is illuminating our hearts. He's giving us a spiritual mind. He's turning on the switch so that we understand spiritual things, so that we come alive on the inside of him. And then he comes in and sets up residence within us. Now, what is he doing in there? Okay, this gets really exciting here, okay? Ephesians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 13 and 14, listen to this. In him you also, when you heard the truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, you're sealed. You're you're protected by the Spirit of God inside of you, okay? Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Did you know that you had an inheritance? That's pretty cool, isn't it? God has given you an inheritance. God has all kinds of glorious and wonderful and great things awaiting the believer. In fact, in Ephesians 2, 7, right across the page, he says, so in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God's got all kinds of good stuff for us, okay? And now, he's given us the Holy Spirit to be the guarantee of our inheritance, all right? So you got a great big inheritance here, okay? And, and just so you know that you really have it, God goes ahead and gives you a down payment right now, right now. Who wants some of their inheritance now? Who wants some, huh? No, nobody wants, okay, I'll take yours too. All right, who wants our inheritance? Man, I want my inheritance now, And God has said, okay. He said, okay, you can have some. And he's given me the Holy Spirit inside of me 
as the first installment of my inheritance. Okay, now what does that mean? What, what does that mean? How, how does that help me? Well, the Holy Spirit is living inside of me now, showing me these riches. By faith, I begin to see them. I begin to experience them. I begin to love them. I begin to long for them. I begin to want them. Okay, that's what the, it's the work of the Spirit inside of me. All right? Now, hold that thought, and I'm going to tell you the same thing I just told you two more times, okay, in different passages, because I want you to see that I'm not just making this up, and this is really cool, okay? All right, so 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 20, he says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. That is why, that, that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All right, first thing he tells us, all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. So, you got all these great promises of God. Do you get them or not? Well, if you're, if you're in Jesus, in Jesus they're all what? Yes. Okay? So, forgiveness. Well, do you have Jesus? Yeah, you do? Okay, yes, all right? Adoption, do you have Jesus? All right, yeah, check that one, okay? Uh, uh, God working together, all things together for good in your life. Do you have that? Do you got Jesus? Yes, they're all yes, all the promises of God. New heaven, new earth, resurrection, they're all yes, 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 yes. They're all yes in Jesus, okay? All that's coming to you. I know who, I know what kind of people you are. You're going to say, just like me, hey, I'd like to have some of that right now, God. God says, okay, and he gives us his Holy Spirit, right? He gives us the Holy Spirit, and we begin to taste the promises of God. We begin to see them from afar. We begin to, begin to experience the goodness of God, the blessings of God, right here and now through the Holy Spirit, the present experience of God in us now. Okay, one more. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In this passage, uh, Paul likens our bodies to a temporary tent, okay? For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So he's longing to shed this old body and to have his new resurrection body, okay? That's what he's talking about, right? Verse 2 says, In this tent we groan. Do I hear an amen? Anybody groaning in their tent today, okay? So you got no cartilage left in your left knee, right? Your shoulder needs a, a, a new rotator cuff. Uh, maybe you got cataracts on your eyes. Maybe you uh, got a weak heart. Maybe well, whatever, right? We're groaning in this tent. That's what verse 2 says. Longing to put on the heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may be found not be found naked. We don't want to just shed our body. We want a new body. Verse 4. For while we're still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal, we want what is fragile and frail and sick and broken, that's mortal, may be swallowed up by life. Yes, that's coming, okay? That's coming for you. Verse 5, though, says, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Three times in a row. I just showed you. Three times it tells us, here's what's coming for you. Here's your inheritance. Here's the blessings of God. Here's the good things God's going to do. And now God's given you a guarantee of those things by giving you the Holy Spirit. My friends, the Holy Spirit is our present experience. It is our present taste of God, the goodness of God, okay? Some of you use this phrase, it's a God thing. I don't know who started that in this church. I don't know where it came from, but I hear it all the time. What are you saying when you say it's a God thing? What do you mean by that? You know what you mean if you're theologically accurate? You mean, I just experienced the Holy Spirit, 
okay? I just experienced him. He put, he put a circumstance in my path, and I know that's God. I just experienced God right now. Okay? You're saying, man, I was sick and he healed me. I experienced the presence of God. You're saying I was reading my Bible and, man, there was a God thing that just put everything together and took away my worry. I experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. That is, that is what he's talking about. Okay? He's saying you got all this great stuff coming, but guess what? You get some of it now through the Holy Spirit. Now, to make this even more clear, what actually will be our inheritance, okay? As believers, I just read you three passages that talked about we have an inheritance, we have an inheritance, we have an inheritance. What is the thing we get? What is the great thing that we're all looking for and longing for? Let me tell you what, it is not gold streets, okay? Some of you, you're talking about gold streets all the time, and I'm just telling you, if we get to heaven, don't stand by me and don't tell anybody you're from Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church if that's what you're doing, okay? All right? If we're all there in heaven and there's the glory of Jesus emanating out in this this fierce, glorious blaze of, of awesomeness and the seraphim and the cherubim are going around like F-16s and all the saints of God are worshiping, if you're over back in the New Jerusalem, bent down, being like, man, these streets, I'm telling you what, look at this goal, I'm embarrassed of you. Don't tell people you came to my church, okay? (laughs) Tell them you were a Methodist or something else, I don't know, but don't tell them you're from here. Our inheritance is Jesus. He's the one that will satisfy. I walked on this is true. I just I thought of this when I was preaching in the in the second service. I walked on streets of gold. I did that the other day. In, in, in the first of June, we went to Hearst Castle in California. William Randolph Hearst built this huge castle on this beautiful hillside overlooking the Pacific Ocean for him to bring all his guests in. And before he even got it done, he died. Isn't that the way things go? You know. Uh, anyway, but in this one pool, I think it's called the Roman Pool, he overlaid the floor with, with, with flakes of gold. So there's gold in the floor, and then he put like glass or something on top of it. You know. And, and so when you're walking on it, you're actually walking on gold. Guess what? It wasn't that great. I mean, the pool was pretty and everything. By that time, I was hot. I was ready to get on the bus, go back down to the Pacific where it was cool. I mean, I I had no fulfillment. I had no satisfaction. I had no glory. Hey, you know what? Streets of gold are... I mean, mean, the Bible tells us that for a purpose. It's telling us, you know, there's this glorious thing where all things are made new. But the glory of heaven, what you need is not new streets. It's not a mansion. What you need, what's going to satisfy your soul is Jesus. It's God. Okay, and so what do we have as believers? We have the present reality of God himself living inside of us. So you know what you should seek? You should seek, I'll just use your own language, you should seek God things all the time. You should say, God, I I, I want to experience the Holy Spirit. I want to experience your power. For, For years, I think Baptist preachers were afraid to say that. I want to experience the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because we were, we were, uh, many, many of those guys were, were, were rebelling against what they saw in much of the charismatic movement, which was basically, I want to experience experience. I, when I want to experience the character of God and, and the, the love of God and the knowledge of God and the power of God and the grace of God and the service of God. But it was, I, want, I, want, I want to experience an experience, okay? Well, I'm not saying that. I'm not even, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying to you today is we should want more of God himself. 
I want to experience his presence. I want, I want him working. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about being full of the Holy Spirit, being led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, not grieving, not, not quenching the Spirit. Friends, we have the presence of Almighty God dwelling inside of us. Ought you not expect incredible things every day? Ought we not seek those? Ought we not want to position our life so that we get those? We see those. God, open my eyes. Show me. Show me. If you don't have the Holy Spirit this morning, you don't have Jesus. If you've not been awakened on the inside, if, if, if your Christianity consists simply of, I'm going to do some right things, I'm going to try to be good or at least better than the next guy so that I feel better about myself. You don't have salvation. You have something else. You have what Nicodemus had. He's a great guy. But Jesus said, unless you're born again, Nicodemus, you'll not enter the kingdom of God. You'll not see it. You won't get it. So maybe today the Spirit of God's working on you. Maybe today as you've heard the gospel, you want to turn from sin, put your faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit will bring you to life on the inside. Let's pray. Father, we need you. Holy Spirit, we want you to work. Holy Spirit, we want you to work in our church. Holy Spirit, we want you to work in, in our families. We, we, want to, we want to interact with you. We want to talk with you and walk with you and sense your presence and your direction. We want you to reveal to us the greatness of Jesus in every way. Holy Spirit, we're so thankful that you live inside of us. We don't want to grieve you. We don't want to quench you. We don't want to resist you. We don't want to lie to you. Holy Spirit, do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.